Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bougay. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm great, Rachel. How about you? I'm doing good. I love our podcast days, and we're diving back into another question, the same question. I feel like there was so much in this question, and I'm excited because there was a lot of really great stuff, which is why we decided to keep talking about it. This time, uh, or this part of the email, it says, I'm in a pod district. All of our educators in special ed have done introductory pod training, so they've heard the message and they should be familiar with the concepts of modeling, including a range of vocabulary, including a range of pragmatic functions, consistent pathways, but I'm still getting requests uh, day in and day out, which specifically talking about changing vocabulary. If you listen to the previous episode, it's about changing vocabulary and, and taking vocabulary away and, and being stuck in just requesting. Um, so the, a question that kind of pops up when you read this, this portion of the email is the adjective pod before the word district. Does that, so I'm in a pod district. And that makes me wonder if this particular district has sort of adopted a specific, a specific language system first approach where everybody gets pod and then we adapt from there? Or does it mean that some teachers have been trained in pod, this is likely the case, but that some teachers have been trained in pod and so they, ha they have some familiarity with it? And that means there are some districts that have not been trained in pod, so they're not even aware, they're not pod aware, you know? I wonder if a better, better adjective, like, the teachers I'm working with are pod aware, you know? I love that, pod aware. <laughs> um, so what I'm, what I'm kind of reading from this question is, it, it sounds like at the very least, the, a lot of the educators have been trained in pod, which means that they understand all these concepts. But I feel like, again, the disconnect is, I can read a self-help book all day long, but until I actually do something about it, and even better, if I have somebody helping me, coach me along the process, like I'm not gonna get there. And so I feel like this is just another example of how if we only rely on the training, the teaching, right? Here's what modeling is and why it's so important. Here's why it's important to get beyond kids beyond requesting. If we just stay there, then like we're not gonna see anything change. Um, and so I think from this email, I mean, this Patreon member of ours is very frustrated, I think, um, and she feels like things aren't changing. And so kind of how we talked about this the last uh, episode, Chris, I feel like we need to do some coaching, right? Like this leads me back to this idea of coaching because it's not like these educators don't understand these concepts at this point. Um, it's just that they need help implementing them. Um, and I think that that takes me back always to coaching, a coaching model. Her email goes on to talk about staff turnover and that even though they may have been trained in pod, we should really explain in case this is your very first episode that pod is a particular communication system um, that's organized in a very particular way. I think that's all you really need to know in context of this conversation. So she goes on to say that the staff turnover is an issue so that even though some people might know about pod or have at least the concepts about AAC in general, uh, they leave and then we get new people in. And then uh, she goes on to say that the, the, there are processes in place for evaluating and assessing what type of system someone should get and 
there it seems like there's uh that not there's not a great barrier to getting a system getting a system doesn't seem to be a thing it's once you've got the system what do you do with it um when once you've got the aac what do you do with the aac and that is not surprising to me as well so if you think about the 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 scope of the last oh i'm gonna say 20 years of aac right um the first barrier that people had to overcome to AAC was actually getting something. It's a lot easier to get something now than it was 20 years ago. It's a lot less expensive. It's a lot more common. So many more people know about it. The barrier to getting something is a lot less um, than it was 20 years ago. Uh, if that's not the case in your neck of the woods, I apologize. Don't don't uh, write us the podcast. Chris, what do you mean? I'm still struggling to get something. But I'm speaking in generalities. It's a little easier to get the thing, right? Then, okay, it makes sense. The next, what comes next? Well, I've got the thing. What do I do with the thing? We're going to do training, right? That makes sense. And so that's the next bubble, right? If you, if you can picture a Venn diagram with three bubbles, the first bubble is, is acquisition. The second bubble is, or, or tool, right? The second bubble is training. So what, having awareness, know what I do with it. And that is where a lot of people stop. And so, Rachel, this is what you brought up, and we brought it up in the last episode, is that it's really leaving out a third part of this framework, and that is that third bubble of the Venn diagram, which is coaching. Just training alone, having any two of those bubbles um, will leave it out. Like if I had the coaching and I had the training and I didn't have a tool, you wouldn't have success. If I had the coaching and I had the tool and I didn't really have an awareness of what I'm being coached on, you wouldn't have success. You really need all three parts for there to be success. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. We talk about this during our coaching talk, Chris. Um, and I think people understand this at some level, but I also think there's a confusion with what is coaching. And a lot of people think um, what I would consider as consulting is coaching. And I think that that's where the disconnect is. A lot of people were like, yeah, I'm doing coaching. It's like, and if we were to watch their session back, they were just doing training or consulting. They were telling people what to do, teaching people concepts, which there's, that's, that's a part of this, right? Like we can't just hop in and be like, I'm not going to teach you what Ada language input is, but like, I'm going to start asking you reflective questions about it. Um, you know, we need to do that training with that consult, uh, consulting piece. Um, but I think where the disconnect is, is people don't really understand this idea of coaching. Um, the other thing I'll say, because, um, this email says, Basically, I have everybody on board for the assessment process, which I feel really excited that there's a team, a team approach to the assessment process. So well done. Um, but then she goes on to say no one is interested in the implementation process. And to that, I would say, um, and this is making me think about my course, Chris, AAC Ally, because I talk about this a lot. Um, and you know, that course was built because I was trying to teach people how to do AAC assessment remotely, but there's so many things that can carry over into in-person. Um, and the biggest one is I treat my assessments as therapy. So it's like, yes, am I trying to decide on a tool? Of course. But as I'm going along and I'm doing the trialing, I'm not the one sitting you know, across the table from a kid. I'm coaching communication partners on how to you know, model language and um, you know, do descriptive teaching. And I'm teaching the whole time throughout the assessment process. 
And it takes a little bit longer. It's not like, you know, kids are coming to me for two hours and I'm like, okay, you're walking out the door with a, with a tool, right? It takes a little bit longer. But what happens is um, as you're going through the assessment, if you are coaching communication partners on, you know, all the different aspects of AAC, they're already more bought in. Instead of come to me, I'll find the tool or we'll talk about the tool, but I'll do most of the heavy lifting and then I'll drop it, you know, drop it off and then no one really knows how to use it and isn't bought in. Instead of, you know, in order to find this tool, we're gonna figure out how to use it and we're gonna do that together. And I feel like when you, you approach assessment that way, all of a sudden you have communication partners, particularly parents, um, who come out the other side already with an understanding on how to use it because they've been using it all along. And I'm saying, I need you to use this to figure out if this is the right tool. We're going to take data on, you know, how much it's being used or we're going to track the words and all those things. It's part of the assessment process. So I wonder if um, this person started implementing more communication partner training during the assessment process, if she would have more success once we technically have the tool and go to the implementation part. You know, that that uh, what happens next after that, after the assessment, we have something, is I wonder about the structure of the intervention after that. Because a traditional approach would be to that I see the student for 60 minutes a week, you know, I've done some really great training uh, uh, for an hour or two of, uh, uh, but what if that structure was different. What if it was a number of 15-minute conversations, you know, that still equal the same uh, two hours worth of time, but they're shorter conversations pointed specifically at the skills we were, the partner communication skills, not the students' skills. Um, what we were trying, so last time we talked about descriptive teaching or modeling, whatever the skill is you're targeting, you said now that if you, after the assessment process, they now have a better understanding, at least an awareness. They have a little bit knowledge of how to do it, and we need to continue to hone those skills. Maybe it's not in hour chunks. Maybe it's in 15-minute chunks. And I wonder if that helps um, maintain the, the, uh, the through line so people don't lose the thread over time. The other thing I'll say, which I've noticed in my own practice, as things are transitioning back to in-person, I'm still relying a lot on telepractice because I feel like it's easy for people to just open a computer real quick, hop on, watch a video. And when I say watch a video, I use a lot of asynchronous videos. Um, so I do a lot of work with communication partners looking back on videos they've taken interacting with a student. Um, it's so easy to do that. It's not easy for a, you know an SLP who covers a huge area of districts to schedule time to go to you know these you know sites. And I think that's why the scheduling is so hard. It's because like I'm coming, I'm driving for 40 minutes to get to you. Like I'm gonna stay for two hours and train everybody and get it all done in one shot. Um, I think that what we've learned from COVID-19 is that telepractice is very easy to at least get access to people and more consistently and where it's not so much of, you know, a scheduling nightmare trying to figure out, well, when am I in that area or near that district? Um, or, you know, I feel like there's so, so much that we can learn. And, and I, in my own practice, I'm like, I could do this in person, but I also feel like it's easier. Like in a lot of ways, it's easier for parents to share videos with me. Um, especially in the assessment process. I'm like the first step of my assessment is 
just collect some videos over the next couple of weeks of how your child's communicating. It doesn't matter if that's with verbal speech, sign language, with a device, you know, however they're communicating, let me get a good picture, right? And then I go through those videos with families um, and start, you know, kind of showcasing moments where we maybe asked too many questions or we could have paused a little bit longer. Um, and so I'm just thinking that, you know, if we can keep using telepractice strategically, I think that we can do, Chris, like you said, 15 minute increments where people are able to have access to me more consistently without, you know, it being a complete disaster as far as the scheduling. Yeah, I think that's especially true for for uh, awareness level training and coaching for communication partners. Uh, I think that really, it has always made sense. You know, I think there were people that were um, uh, dipping their toe in that pre-COVID and a barrier that they had back in that in the day was not everyone knew how to use that technology. But now, so many more people do, you know, and so that barrier is uh, has come down, you know, and let's not let's not lose what we what we what we've gained here from from the natural disaster that we all went through, you know. One last thing. <laughs> well, so one last thing that I was going to mention here is that she seems to be frustrated with the turnover rate. And I don't think that's something that's going to go away anytime soon. Uh, I think if it's it's all over the news and all over the Internet that there is a teacher shortage. Uh, that's And special education is even worse than general education, meaning the, the, um, uh, the, the rate of people leaving is more than people coming. Uh, that is entering into crisis mode here because we just won't have enough people to, to, to do it. And I think... Um, this particular person is feeling that frustration of like, I've spent all that time uh, with an assessment process, like you said, even if I got them up to speed. So th that really focuses on two things. One, focus on the families. They're not going anywhere. Um, you can spend more time with them than the staff. Um, I think that's a, a theme in our podcast over the years, Rachel, has been what if we shift our intervention more to the, the communication partners that are going to be there with the student for the long run? Um, and two, when you are working with the staff, maybe that coaching will be the thing that keeps them. Meaning, man, I have such a good relationship with this and I don't want to lose this and my skills are getting better and um, I feel more confident in my day-to-day -day work because I'm building these skills. Um, so, so, you know, maybe I don't want to leave. Maybe I'll stick it out for another year. Maybe two because I, I'm enjoying this experience of, of, of learning how to become a better communication partner. I love that, Chris. And I think that oftentimes... What happens when we're thinking th strictly through like a training consultation model is it doesn't lend itself to highlighting what the communication partners are doing well, right? We're just kind of like telling people what to do and coaching, it really shifts to really not only, you know, highlighting where a communication partner is making progress and growing in their skills. Um, but it also just, it, it creates this, this team relationship where it's like together, like I'm, you know, we're, we're getting better look at all the progress we've made. And that just goes a long way for people's job satisfaction. People like to feel like they're doing a good job and they're, you know, improving and growing and learning. And so I think that, like you said, Chris, I think it just could potentially have the impact of not having so much turnover. 
um, because people feel like they're doing a good job. They feel like they're doing the right thing. Um, I think sometimes we come in and we say, model all the words all the time, do all these things. And then we're left with educators who feel like they're not doing enough and they're not doing a good job. And so, of course, they're going to you know, not be happy and want to leave their job because they feel like they're not doing a good job. Um, and so I think coaching can really help um, build skills and also build relationships. And those things are what make you stay, want to stay at a job. So I think that brings us towards the end of the question. Do you, do you think, is there anything else that we should have mentioned here in this question? I don't think so, Chris. I think we, we, <laughs> there was a lot in this question, and I think we kind of went through it piece by piece. I think it really stimulated some really engaging conversation and discussion. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there listening who were like, yes, like I have these exact issues. How do I manage this? Um, And so hopefully we've been able to give some insight into that and to inspire hope that things can change. And, um, you know, we know it's not easy to implement all the things that we do. Um, You know, I I realize that it's not a simple fix, um, but if we can start thinking more through the lens of how can we build relationships um, with the people that we're working with, um, I think that you can never go wrong. Not only the people that we work with, but also the students, right? So it's all about building connections and relationships. And if we start there, then we have the potential to grow and expand beyond you know, what we even realize. But we need to kind of always circle back to that because I think sometimes we get stuck in the like technical details of like all the goals and IEPs and, you know, all the things I have to do. And it's just like if we can keep circling back to like the connections that we're building with people, um, we're going to be happier and everyone's going to be happier. We have a phrase that we use. I think a lot of educators have adopted it. It's uh, connection before content. It's all about those relationships. That's what pe- That's what keeps people coming back. Love it. So, Chris, who who did you interview for today? Well, last week was part one. This week, it's part two with my interview with Jamie Grant. And I suppose there's one other thing we should tell everybody, Rachel, and that is about our vacation plans. Yes, we are taking the next two weeks off from the podcast. Um, And so we wanted to give a vacation to especially our team, Luke and Michaela. They do such a great job. And we just we, we record weekly and we put this podcast out weekly. So it's summer. We're taking a break. So you should take a break too. go back and listen to some old episodes, some of your favorites um, or just take a break. And we will see you in two weeks. Are you enjoying this episode? We would love for you to take a few minutes to hit the subscribe button so you always know when we release new content. Even better, if you leave us a review on iTunes, then more people will find this podcast and learn about AAC. We also love reading your reviews on air. Thank you so much for your support. We love this community. Now we can head back into the episode. But okay, yeah. back to the back to the questions. Okay, um, based on the information, I went to your website, um, and I said I see that you're affiliated with with a few technology and education organizations. But who do you follow in the industry? Who's your go to person? Oh, oh, well, that's that's an excellent. Oh my gosh, what an excellent question, Jamie. So years ago, I adopted Twitter as my social media platform, and I started following a bunch of ed tech people, mostly. Um, to break out of my bubble 
of, you know, oh, I think I know everything about, you know, even assistive technology. Like there's a, a bunch of people that you can follow and have conversations with. But even there, Twitter is such a large space and there's so many educators there sharing resources, uh, you know, tools that they use um, and then perspectives. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I, because I'm in my own little world here, I would have never known that, um, I don't know, that these tools existed and that people are actually using them. So so Twitter is my go-to tool. And then I just, you can go to Twitter, follow who I'm following, because you'll see, you know, there's like a thousand people that I follow and I just love learning from them. And then I love learning from different hashtags as well. Like, so um, I'm a big proponent of the Go Open movement, so open educational resources. And there's a hashtag that says hashtag Go Open. And so I just create a little, um, I use something called TweetDeck that has different uh, columns. And so with the, I have a little column that says Go Open. And every so often I just go over there and I kind of peruse the you know top 10 tweets, you know, the top most frequently, I should say, most mm-hmm. frequent tweets. So Twitter is my tool. And there's so many people that over there. I, I, I'm not even sure who... Who, who I could tell you that I follow because I just kind of dip my ladle into that river every once in a while and take a, take a drink. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, I mean, yeah. Cause I'm like, it's the, yep. Um, I, I've joined a, uh, I've been able to go to a few ISTE conferences expensive as I'll get out, but it's mm-hmm. worth it. Um, I just get upset. Like all the really good um, sessions, they're the paid sessions. And it's like, yeah. Um, just like when I um because prior to COVID, um, for the past about four or five years, I've attended every ATIA um conference in Orlando. Like I pretty much know Orlando like the back of my hand right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um I'm so surprised I, we haven't met at, at ATIA then because I've been there for so many years too. Seriously? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm a longtime ATIA. Um, and I do pre-conferences there every year. Um, just did it this year with Rachel, okay. the co-host of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So future ATIA, we will have to like, make sure we, you know, yeah, get, get together with each other, man. Yeah. Oh man. I love ATIA. Um, oh, okay. and ISTE is great too. I mean, I, um, I, so ISTE is, I've got the great fortune of being able to publish a couple books and um, we have a new book coming out um, with Mike Murata. Do you know Mike Murata or Beth Poss or Karen Janowski? Those are also longtime ATIA people. Mm-hmm. But what is, the reason I'm saying that is, is that I love the ISTE standards as far as a way to like reframe technology use and the way we design education with technology as a support. Um, like I said, I, I got to say that because they they're my publisher do you know what i mean mm-hmm. i would say i have to declare that like it's like oh well chris is just saying that because you know he gets his books published through them no i mean i really believe in their um their standards as a way to redefine education oh wow see it's just, you just have to keep on talking <laughs> i tell you um okay okay got okay, okay, that one okay in respect to funding this is another okay. big thing. Um, have you found any Greece great resources to help fund um, AT for your district? Yes. So we've had some um, great strides in two areas there. That has been grants, um, both federal grants and local grants. Well, I guess state grants. I guess all three levels. <laughs> um, the two big federal grants uh, that have come out in the la- in my time in the school district has been um, 
back when uh, President Obama was in office, it was mm-hmm. the ERA funds, American Rehabilitation and Restoration Act. I think I'm getting that right. Mm-hmm. And during that time, when that the when that act came out, they basically gave money to all the school districts to use for part of the way it could be used was assistive technology. And in those moments that the, I was on the team and my, uh, my former supervisor at the time, we, we made this decision collaboratively to say, what are we going to do with these funds? We looked at the, the old way of doing assessments, which was like calling an assistive technology person out, you filling out an evaluation, you, you, us observing. We looked at all of those assessments and we said, what is our number one recommendation? Like, what are we using most frequently? And the answer, when we looked at all of them, this again, several years ago, but it was word prediction. We were recommending word prediction as a feature over and over and over again. And we yeah. said, hmm, what tool could we provide to everybody that just gets them word prediction so we don't have to do like one-off evaluations? We just, it's just there. It's just a tool for everybody. Yes. And so we ended up buying Read and Write for Google Chrome. Um, yes. And, now, and we place it as a tier one support, meaning it's everybody has it. It's not just students for special with in special education. It's not students who qualify. It's mm-hmm. everybody, anyone who wants it. So that's number one. And then number two is just recently we've had the CARES Act and we've got fun- money from there. And our director has said, so, okay, tell me what you need. And we were like, iPads. We need more iPads so that we can provide um, tools for um, students for AAC. Um, at uh, and um, we can use uh, iPads as a modeling function for our teachers, so that a teacher can have an iPad and they can be modeling alongside the student. Okay. So grants are big. And then we do a robots for autism program where we got a state grant and we were, um, we already have robots, little robots in, um, most of our schools as an ed tech person. Maybe have you, did you, have you had a chance to play with the robots yet? Like B bots or dash or any of those Ozobots? Um, like we do have, um, dot and dash. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have Milo. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other part of me, prior to all of this stuff, and I, I really miss it this past summer, um, I run robotics and coding camps during the summer. <laughs> it is one of those things that I, I, I really, really love. And, um, and do you do that I, under an organization? Do you do it with a particular no. organization? You just do it I yourself? Mean, well, yeah, yeah, I do it through the school district, um, but it has become my own personal, like it's my personal, it's Jamie's personal camp that I offer to the school district during the summer, and um, we have kids come in. We started off with, what, maybe two kids, and it grew to, because I had to limit the amount of kids, about um, between 21 and 25 kids that will come out and participate in the camp, Yeah. Oh my gosh, we are kindred spirits, Jamie. Uh, coding <laughs> is my thing and bringing it to students who use AAC. You know, like the, coding is a language and it's learning all of this stuff about how putting things in certain order makes something happen. Same mm-hmm. thing with words, right? You put them in order, some, you, you have meaning there. And so I do whole presentations on coding and AAC. So, oh my gosh. And so has it been, well, I guess, how has it changed with the pandemic You were, and coding? We weren't able to do um, anything because usually it's a face to face. I have kids come out, they stay all day. Um, And, you know, all of that shut down for our district. We weren't 
doing anything. And I feel like it was a missed opportunity um, because my, my goal is to expose as many children as possible to the possibilities Mm-hmm. out there um, when it comes to technology. Um, I first started off um, being school-based and I did a lot of after-school programs. Um, I even got one principal to kind of buy into my Kool-Aid and he purchased the Lego NXTs and then we had the WeBots. Um, I did a lot of scratch um, just to kind of get the kids up and starting and excited yeah. about the possibility. Like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know I would be able to do this. And I did have an Oprah moment. I did have my Oprah moment. Um, what were you able to give? What, what, what did you do? I didn't give away, but I had, you know, like one of those kids come back and say thank you. Oh, um, gotcha. That- that, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's my like dream. Um, and so. um I was doing an animation um, session for our GT students one summer and the following about two, two years after that, um, I had to go and kind of put out a technology fire at one school. And so she was, you know, I went into the teacher's class and she was like, oh yeah, these are my kids. You know, we, you know, I do the flip classroom and, you know, we have this one student over here. He really got into coding. Like he does the the C++ coding, blah, blah, blah. And then, so now he got a bunch of his friends doing it and they're making these little projects. And so I had to kind of change my curriculum and how I did things. And so he came up to me and he was like, hi, Ms. Grant. I can't remember the little boy's name. I said, hello, how are you doing? He said, you don't remember me? And I said, no. I said, but, you know, tell me how you got into this. He said, you're the one that got me into this. Because what happened during the animation camp, the software stopped working. And so, again, I love Scratch. And so we, I'm like, okay, let's scrap animation. Um Let's do scratch. And this is another way that you can do animation. This is how you can build a code for your animation. And he took it to the next level. Now I'm upset because this little kid is learning C++. And I'm like, okay. So I went and bought every coding book under the sun. And so I'm like, Python. See, um, I I have to learn everything because there's no way a fifth grader is going to know a little bit more than me (laughs) when it comes to coding. But, you know. But I ignited something in a child who took it and now he's igniting his little friends. Like right now he should be in like middle or high school. So I'm hoping that his end game would lead him into becoming a professional coder, you know? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. You changed a life right there, Jamie. That is, oh my God, that, that gives me chills. Really. I mean, I feel like um, coding is one of those things that we're all going to need to know, like students leaving school, everyone needs to know. And you gave this kid a huge leg up starting his, oh, it's, it's awesome. That is so I'm awesome. I'm glad that his parents invested in it. And so that's why I, I, I started working with this one particular school and got the principal to start buying the robotics kits and stuff like that. Because one, um, it's a low income school so to speak, Title I. That's what we call our Title I schools. And so we have a lot of African-American or children of color that are never, it's not that they're not smart enough, they're just not exposed. Yeah, right. And so that's my thing was bringing exposure to the possibility. Because I've even had parents walk into my camp 
and look at me. I'm the only one with the t-shirt on that says kids can code. And they're like, um, so who's over this? And so I'm looking down at the shirt, like I'm the only one standing here with this shirt on that you're paying all this money for your child to attend. And you're looking for somebody else. It, it had kind of hurt my feelings a little bit, mm-hmm. but again, exposure that you see more people like you, you see a diverse group of people that can do it mm-hmm. and can get into technology and coding. And cause I love robotics, but you don't have to have a certain look. Like I don't have to be a white male exactly to be into coding and programming and gaming and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm just trying to change perception and also just expose our kids, man. Oh my because gosh. look, I, I would love for my kids to leave high school. Maybe um, um, cause we have uh, quite a few programs at the high school level where students can get their certifications and different, um, different things prior to like you could do the um the a plus or network plus you can get all kinds of certification that the schools will pay for and leave high school and start making 80 60 to 80 thousand dollars leaving high school leaving high school Mm. yeah so yeah it's a lot easier to do when you're younger Meaning you, you're growing up learning about coding, you know, and learning about logic. I think the transition to to achieving one of those certificates because you just grew up with it, like growing up learning Spanish or something. You know what I mean? It's a lot harder when you're older, you know, or it's a lot more effort. Um, Jamie, let me ask you, since you were talking about the the coding groups, what about the ratio to boys versus girls? I'm curious there. Ooh, you know? that was interesting. That was interesting when I first started. Um. At first, and I can say for my after school programs, it was um, pretty much um, 80% white young males. Um, then we would have um, our, uh, the next it'd be like 5% um, African American males. Then 3%, uh, if you do the math, however the math works out, then it would be um, white, young white females. And then the smallest group of maybe I'll just have one little black girl. Mm-hmm. And that bothered me. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. But, but again, you know, if the parents aren't exposed to the possibilities for their child, like beyond football and, and, and basketball to understand that there is another option. There are other things your child can be doing, but then you have to look at, okay, the educational background of the parents that get their children involved. And these were free programs after school. Mm-hmm. There was no pay um, that they could just freely join. But again, the possibilities, if they don't see that as a possibility, then they're not quite invested. But it changed for my summer programs because it first started off with um, primarily all white students. Maybe I'll have one black student, one, you know, and, and then I'm like, okay. But the more the word got out about it, my, I mean, now it's like uh, it was a total mashup of and it was almost equally distributed between white young males the african-american young males hispanic and chinese and and then i would have 
my black and my white girls. And I'm like, oh man, this is what I'm talking this about. This is diversity. This is what it's yes. supposed to look like. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And to see them all like, the first thing I tell them, you all will fail. And they're looking at me like, yes, I, said, I want you to understand this. You will fail. You will get things wrong. And that's kind of hard to say to a lot of GT kids because those are mainly the kids that come out. And I'm like, I'm just trying to tell you. And then, and so I'll see them during the process. I'll go and I'll do a, a grand overview. This is how you do this. This is where you find the resources. This is how, this is some of the basic knowledge you'll need. And they're like, Miss Grant, I just don't know what to do. I can't figure it out. I told you. I told you. I'm like, I don't know what to do either. Yeah, exactly. And I let them fail because one, I want them to feel that. And that failure is not a bad thing. It just means keep on trying. Yeah, that's where yeah. growth happens. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I so that that that's a little bit of, a little bit more of my background. Oh, Jamie, I mean, I feel like that's so awesome because uh something that i is rings in my head is that traditional education seems to be about getting through it you know like and and parents might have the perspective um like i gotta sit by my child and give them the right answers you know and that's not what you're talking about at all that's not what education it's not what life is it's about challenges and knowing that given enough time given enough resources um you will overcome um and it's about problem solving, right? I mean, that's what you're yes. getting at. Oh, yes. man. Well, okay. We, we could talk about this forever. I, I, want, I, I want to throw a couple of resources at you, though, because I know you're taking notes. If you haven't already heard of these organizations, these are ones to Google. Okay. Um, Girls Who Code and yep. Black Girls Code. Um, both of those organizations we've partnered with on the podcast in the past. And um, they're ones, you know, there's a lot out there, but those are ones that I found um, that Rachel and I both have found to be exceptional. So I don't know. You might be like, nah, I'm good. I don't need any extra support, but those no, might be organizations. I love that, it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a consummate student. Like I know I'll be a student forever. I, you know, that's just how it is because I understand that the world is so much bigger. Mm -hmm. I don't know if those programs, well, because you're already doing it. I don't know if they could actually add anything to, to what you're already doing, but if there were people that, like you said, they, you know, um, they look like, well, you, this is your program, you're doing it and they need some sort of authority over it. You know, that might be a something to look at, but again, you're mm -hmm. already doing it. I don't feel like you necessarily need to look at those. This is just extra resources. I want to make sure that's clear that I'm saying, Oh, you need to contact them. No, no. you're killing it already. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you, you, you meet interesting people in this lifetime. That's why I wanted to have my own like bed and breakfast. And like one of my, t I, I like, I wanted to be able to sit on the porch with my, with my, um, with my clients who come and stay and just talk life. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't matter because we all, that's why I don't understand racism half the time because we all bring something unique to this blanket. Yeah. We Absolutely. have our own unique experiences. And, so, and as we're finding, a lot of our experiences are similar. A lot of our desires are similar. Mm -hmm. And so when you, and it's like, oh man, you, 
it, it, it goes beyond. And I don't want to be colorblind because I think that's stupid. <laughs> you know, I want us to bring our differences together mm-hmm. because it makes us all better. Yes. You, you know, learn from we different can all learn from each other. Okay. Okay. Jamie, go back and focus. Focus, Jamie. Yeah, no, hey, we could talk about this. And I, oh, we're such kindred spirits. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I think you told me about one of your go-to or favorite assessment tools, and that's pretty much something that you're you're building right now. Well, actually, we built it a couple of years ago. It was called the Coal Continuum of Language Expression, specifically for a language. But then the other thing that I, that I said assessment-wise on a grander scale, it's not just language, is this resource consideration guide. It's just, and again, it's the Wadi. It's a version of the Wadi. If, if people are listening to this afterwards or you're like, what did you... Just use the Wadi. You could start there. You can always tweak it and go, eh, I don't like that wording or ah, I don't know. I'd like to change that. Okay. My, my brain is like, okay. In three weeks, I'll be presenting to future SLPs. What advice would you give them? Mm-hmm. So I'm presenting on AAC assessments, tools, mm-hmm. and technology. That's pretty big scope. I'm trying to think of the best thing. All right. So here's what I would do. The the first thing I would talk about is this set framework process of deciding together for starting with the assessment process, as opposed to you as the speech therapist make the decision. What if your role was to guide the decision-making process, not make the decision? I would ask them questions like that. The second thing uh, I would ask them to consider is this shifting of a direct therapy model to more of a coaching model. If my ultimate goal is to help students learn to use language on AAC, then the best way to do that might be not to do direct therapy, but to help the family members learn how to help a student learn language using AAC. I'd ask them about that. And then the third thing I'd mention is about the technology in general would be List what technology helps you, and let's not get into the, as you, as a professional, what technology helps you. Technology is just a tool that helps you, right? So technology is just a tool that helps kids learn what they want, what they need to learn. Um, and get, a, get away from the notion that there's technology that's specific for students with disabilities called assistive technology, and it's just stuff to help people, you know? Um, those might be my... I, I guess one last thing, Jamie, if to really reflect on that would be, I think school, I mean, you touched on it earlier when you're talking about coding, you help that kid learn something that he would never have otherwise had the opportunity or experience to know about. And I feel like that's what school should be. It should be an opportunity to experience things that you would otherwise, it's an, ex, it's an opportunity to get kids excited about things that they would never have known they should be excited about in the first place. And so so many speech therapists might not see that as their role. Robots, that's something different. Coding, that's, you know, Miss Grant does that in an after-school program. I don't, I don't do that in my therapy. No, that's exactly, we need to integrate that more into therapy because it's awesome. Kids love it. It's fun. They, they want to come to school. Not like, oh, I've got to go to school today. Oh, I'm not going to, you know, the, there's such a, a disengagement with this idea of school. How can we get them excited about school? Well, we ask them to solve authentic problems um, and we uh, invite them, we entice them with things that they haven't ever seen before, which provides Mm -hmm. them new opportunities. And I feel like speech therapists can totally do that. They could be the best at it. People don't talk about routine. They talk about new wild stuff that they haven't heard of before, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) 
yeah, that's usually what happens. And I, I got tired of that because I'm like, okay, you want me to to wow you every time. Well, but let's get good at something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Okay. What do you find to be the most challenging area with an with an assistive technology assessment? The the mindset is always the most challenging thing. Um it's not the technology. Once we get the technology in there, I feel like Implement, implementation becomes the second challenge, but the first challenge has got to be, it's how I start almost every presentation I do, is about the mindset. Um, so many people, I think, still, still come into students with disabilities thinking they can't or they have to prove something before they can, as opposed to this belief that they can. And it's my job as an educator to believe in the potential of the student. Um, you know, we hear these phrases all the time. I wonder if you hear them, Jamie, like, yeah, they'll never use that. Or I, why would they ever need to use that? I can understand everything they say. Or, yeah, but we're really talking about a kid with Down syndrome here. And this kid with Down syndrome just really likes pizza. So can we just get him to some like words with food on it? And then he'll be fine for his life. I've made his life better because he can hit a button and say pizza. And that is such a, a limiting view of the potential for people. Yeah. Um, and that's the biggest, the biggest thing. Well, your assessment means squat. If you don't have the mindset of the, of what you said, you said, Jamie, where are we going with this? What's the skill we want to, to in the end? Yeah. So that's, yeah. Oh man, you're, you, I, that's all I can say is you are hitting all of my nails right now because this is what I am I'm going through and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person, mm -hmm. you know, that oh, you're, you're totally not. You are in a, you are totally in a club with lots of people there. Yeah. Jamie, I just want to expound on that for one second and say, when we, when often we talk about assessment, we often think of like the first assessment, like the first time, but really it's an ongoing situation and bringing it back to that situation of um, AAC that ends up in the closet or collecting dust. Mm -hmm. The, the evaluation, the assessment, the looking at the situation, so often people want to change the tool. Wow, well, it clearly LAMP didn't work. We need to give them Prolo Quo. Oh, Prolo Quo didn't work. We need to give them LAMP. And I'm here to tell you that is very rarely the case. So often if we've made this nice collaborative decision together, the tool is not wrong. It's the implementation that's wrong. We haven't done enough coaching. We have focused on too many skills all at once. Uh, the instruction is boring. Um, that someone's not bought in. There's always some sort of human element to the uh, to the implementation that's not working. It's not the tool. It's like let me get a different hammer. No, the hammer's fine. It'll hit the nail. It's got. I got to teach you how to swing it differently. You know? Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And yes. Okay. Um, which leads into the next question. How do you progress monitor the success or failure of a tool after the implementation that yeah, implementation process? That that is an easy one. Um we don't measure the tool. We measure the outcomes. And so there could be lots of different reasons why a student is successful or not successful. You know, was it scratch? 
that that got that the student you were talking about earlier that that really hooked to the student was it the tool maybe or was it the coding behind the tool and was it miss grant's enthusiasm and was it that he came home excited and and his his mom was like we'll do more of it what else can you produce there's so many factors in there that scratch was just one tool in that situation or one variable in that complex um situation of what made that student successful and so often we're trying to prove the success of a tool when really we want to pr prove the outcome. You know, I, I think of it in relation to speech therapy too, since we talked about that. Do I often know that it's the therapist that made the difference? I don't necessarily know. It could be some, you know, family member that um, is staying with the student at that time and is, is coaching them along, you know, wow. it could be the, the, the fact that they said something to their friends and their friends thought it was the coolest thing ever. And that got them hooked. And it could be all those factors meant together. It's, it's not as easy as just saying we put a tool in place and we measured the outcomes. There's so much more that goes into that. I think that's a wonderful explanation of that. And again, that gives me more clarity because I guess I'm, I, I hate to say I'm, I'm becoming a little bit more obsessed with progress monitoring mm -hmm. because I don't want to keep purchasing paperweights or giving a Band-Aid to a gaping wound mm -hmm. or trying to calm a disgruntled parent, because I understand that they're frustrated in the process. They want to be able to, in most cases, communicate with their child, want to know instead of their child, even though children are always communicating, whether it's biting, spitting, pulling hair, that's just their form of communication. Mm -hmm. um, but to, to hear your child even ask for the pizza or um, say, I don't like peanut butter and jelly instead of just throwing a sandwich on the wall. Um, so you're giving me a different way of how to look at progress monitoring now. And I really think I need to go back to the drawing board because I really wanted to get into the set model and start trying to follow that a little bit more mm -hmm. um, strategically. And especially when how I present it to teachers and how they should look at the process. Um, so you've given me a lot to kind of ponder. I tell you, after this conversation, and that actually was my last question, but after okay. this, after this conversation today, I, oh my gosh, you've given me so much to think about. And I'm sorry, well, you have met, you have met your new best friend. Of music. <laughs> um, it's like, yeah, this is this young lady from South Carolina. She calls and bugs me and emails me all the time. Um, but it just, it's like a little sister going to a big, a, a bigger brother and saying, okay, you've already been a little bit, you're a little bit further along than I yeah. am on this journey. I, and I, I've made mistakes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, you know, and I just need some assistance because sometimes I feel like I'm on the island by myself mm -hmm. and, um, and I don't have like a lot of people that I can, you know, go to locally and be like, Hey, you know, how can, you know, we can better do this. And, you know, I am the team. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I got to tell you, Jamie, I, something I, that, that I've found, especially in the assistive technology community, has been everyone is so welcoming and opening, mm -hmm. you know, so feel free to reach out to, to me uh, again, to anyone else. Um, 
for for years, I've thought of it as an extended family. You know, I have my colleagues that I work with on the day job, and then I have my extended colleagues that work. You know, that are in my per- professional learning network, my Twitter people. Now you, Jamie, you you're you're in it. You you can't escape me either. We're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely going to be a, 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 a continued collaboration, and I look forward to it. Yes, yes. I, I, I'm. I, I guess I'm ex- again excited about the possibility. You know, I mean, after I saw the video, I was, you, you had me hooked. You had me hooked. I was like, this makes sense. We really need to change the mindset. It is not the job of one person. Understand it's a team. Stop being afraid of parents. Do your documentation along the way so that like, yeah, we understand, but this is what our observations and our assessments are saying, that this is not really good for your child. We understand, but uh, you know, and it's like, oh my gosh, you should see, like, I have like this old calendar on my desk. I got notes kind of jotted all over it. Um, but thank you so much. You bet. <laughs>